the muscles. The symptoms are quite different. I am equally certain that death was not the result of apoplexy. Lavinia Barnes was recalled at the instance of Mr. Sergeant Shee, and in answer to the learned sergeant, she said, On Monday morning, Mr. Cook said to me that he had been very ill on Sunday night, just before twelve o'clock, and that he had rung the bell for someone to come to him, but he thought that they had all gone to bed. Elizabeth Mills, recalled by the Attorney General, and examined on the same point. I remember on Monday morning asking Mr. Cook how he was, and he said that he had been disturbed in the night, adding, I was just mad for two minutes. I said, Why did you not ring the bell? And he replied, I thought you would all be fast asleep and would not hear me. The illness passed away, and I managed to get over it without. He also said he thought he had been disturbed by the noise of a quarrel in the street. Dr. Henry Savage, physician, of 7 Gloucester Place, examined by the Attorney-General. I knew John Parsons Cook. He had been in the habit of consulting me professionally during the last four years. He was a man not of robust constitution, but his general health was good. He came to me in May 1855, but I saw him about November of the year before, and early in the spring of 1855. In the spring of 1855, the old affair, indigestion, was one cause of his visiting me, and he had some spots upon his body, about which he was uneasy. He had also two shallow ulcers on his tongue, which corresponded with two bad teeth. He said that he had been under a mild mercurial course, and he imagined that those spots were syphilitic. I thought they were not, and I recommended the discontinuance of mercury. I gave him quinine as a tonic, and an aperient composed of cream of tartar, magnesia, and sulphur. I never at any time gave him antimony. Under the treatment which I prescribed, the sores gradually disappeared, and they were quite well by the end of May. I saw him, however, frequently in June, and he still felt some little anxiety about the accuracy of my opinion. If any little spot made its appearance, he came to me, and I also was anxious on the subject, as my opinion differed from that of another medical man in London. Every time he came to me, I examined him carefully. There were no indications of a syphilitic character about the sores, and there was no ulceration of the throat, but one of the tonsils was slightly enlarged and tender. I saw him last alive, and carefully examined him, either on the 3rd or 5th of November. There was, in my judgment, no venereal taint about him at the time. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I do not think that the deceased was fond of taking mercury before I advised him against it, but he was timid on the subject of his throat, and was apt to take the advice of any one. No, I don't think that he would take quack medicines. I don't think he was so foolish as that. Charles Newton, called and examined by Mr. James Q.C. I am assistant to Mr. Salt, a surgeon at Rugeley. I know the prisoner, William Palmer. I remember Monday the 19th of November. I saw Palmer that evening at Mr. Salt's surgery about nine o'clock. I was alone when he came there. He asked me for three grains of strychnine, and I weighed it accurately and gave it to him, enclosed in a piece of paper. He said nothing further but good night, and took it away with him. I knew him to be a medical man, and gave it him, made no charge for it. 
the whole transaction did not occupy more than two or three minutes i again saw palmer on the following day between eleven and twelve o'clock he was then at the shop of mr hawkins a druggist he asked me how i was and put his hand upon my shoulder and said he wished to speak with me accordingly i went out into the street with him and he then asked me when mr edwin salt was going to his farm the farm in question was at a place about fourteen miles distant from rugeley palmer had nothing whatever to do with that farm but mr salt's going there was a rumour of the town while we were talking a mr brassington came up and spoke to me and during our conversation palmer went into hawkins shop again palmer came out of the shop a second time while i was still talking to brassington i am not sure whether palmer spoke to me at that time but he went past me in the direction of his own house which is about two hundred yards from hawkins i then went into hawkins shop where i saw roberts mr hawkins apprentice and i had some conversation with him about palmer i knew a man named thirlby who had been an assistant and a partner of palmer palmer usually dealt with thirlby for his drugs in fact thirlby dispensed palmer's medicine on sunday the twenty fifth of november about seven o'clock in the evening i was sent for and went to palmer's house i found palmer when i got there in his kitchen he was sitting by the fire reading he asked me how i was and to have some brandy and water no one else was present he asked me what was the dose of strychnine to give to kill a dog i told him a grain he asked me what would be the appearance of the stomach after death i told him that there would be no inflammation and that i did not think it would be found upon that he snapped his finger and thumb in a quiet way and exclaimed as if communing with himself that's all right sensation he made some other remarks of a commonplace character which i do not recollect i was with him altogether about five minutes on the following day monday the twenty sixth of november i heard that a post-mortem examination was to take place i went to dr bamford's house intending to accompany him to the post-mortem and i found palmer there in the study that was about ten o'clock in the day palmer asked me what i wanted i told him that i had come to attend the post-mortem he asked whether i thought mr salt was going and i replied that he was engaged and could not go i took the necessary instruments with me and went down to the talbot arms dr harland and mr freer a surgeon practising at rugeley were both there they went away however for a short time and left palmer and me together in the entrance of the hall at the talbot arms he spoke to me he said it will be a dirty job i will go and have some brandy i went with him to his house which was just opposite he gave me two wine glasses of neat brandy and he took the same quantity himself he said you'll find this fellow suffering from a diseased throat he has had syphilis and has taken a great deal of mercury i afterwards went over with palmer to the post-mortem and found the other doctors there during the post-mortem palmer stood near to dr bamford against the fire i was examined before the coroner and did not state before that functionary that i had given palmer three grains of strychnine on the night of the nineteenth of november the first person that i told of it was cheshire the postmaster mr sergeant shee objected to anything that this witness had said to cheshire being admitted as evidence against the prisoner the court ruled in favour of the objection 
cross-examined by mr grove q c it might have been a week or two or three days after i gave palmer the strychnine that i first mentioned the occurrence to any one i think i may undertake to say that it was not a fortnight afterwards subsequently to the inquest i was examined for the purpose of giving evidence on the part of the crown i cannot say how long after the inquest that was when i was first examined on behalf of the crown i did not mention the three grains of strychnine but i did mention the conversation about the poisoning of the dog that was not the first time that i had mentioned that conversation for i had mentioned it before to mr salt but i cannot tell how long before i was examined twice for the purpose of the prosecution by the crown i did not mention cook suffering from sore throat at the inquest but i did mention the conversation which took place at hawkins shop at that time i knew it had been alleged that palmer had purchased strychnine at hawkins's and i presumed that my evidence was required with reference to that point i first stated on tuesday last for the purpose of this prosecution the fact of my having given palmer three grains of strychnine i cannot say whether in that examination i said that palmer said you will find this poor fellow suffering from a diseased throat i don't know whether i said poor fellow or rich fellow do you not know that there is a difference in the expression fellow and poor fellow i know that there is a difference between poor and rich it is impossible to recollect all that i said upon every occasion re-examined by the attorney-general i did not mention the circumstances of my having given the strychnine to palmer because mr salt my employer and palmer were not friends and i thought it would displease mr salt if he knew that i had let palmer have anything i first mentioned it to boycott the clerk of mr gardiner the solicitor at the rugeley station where i and a number of other witnesses were assembled for the purpose of coming to london as soon as i arrived in london boycott took me to mr gardiner's i communicated to him what i had to say and i was then taken to the solicitor of the treasury and i made the same statement to him mr sergeant shee have you not given another reason for not mentioning the occurrence about the three grains of strychnine before the reason being that you were afraid that you could be indicted for perjury no i did not give that as a reason but i stated to a gentleman that a young man of wolverhampton had been threatened to be indicted for perjury by george palmer because he had said at the inquest upon walter palmer that he had sold the prisoner prussic acid and he had not entered it in the book and could not prove it i stated at the time that george palmer said he could be transported for it i did not enter the gift of the three grains of strychnine for mr salt's surgery in a book the inquest upon walter palmer did not take place till five or six weeks after the inquest upon cook the court then adjourned at twenty-five minutes past six o'clock until the next day the jury being conducted as on the previous evening to the london coffee-house in charge of the officers of the court End of section four.